uh, so many cubits, it's so many cubits high, it's so much gold, uh, it's so much location. It, it might be a little boring, but it's, it's worth the reading. It's worth the reading. But we're just going to do a synopsis tonight and hopefully a PowerPoint presentation. So you have these as notes. And uh, one other announcement tonight, guys, or whoever wants to help, we need to split the chairs. We have a wedding coming up right over here. Nervous? Okay. Yeah. I got cold feet the night before, but, you know, that was 37 years ago. <laughs> it's been a nice, been a nice go, real nice go. Okay, so we need to do that thing. Okay, so uh, let's get going here and see what we can find as we review um, Second Chronicles, the building of the temple, the furnishings in uh, Solomon's temple. So let's just review a little bit the basic layout. This is Solomon's temple, and it looks a lot like... Uh, the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, and it was portable, was portable. So when, when uh, Solomon gets ready to build the temple, he goes, grandiose, according to God's scheme. It's not portable anymore. It's right in the right spot. It's uh, on uh, Moriah. Does that ring a bell? It's on the mountain of Moriah. And in that vicinity is where Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. Special territory, special territory. And it's put on the threshing floor that David bought. So it's in the right place, and he has given the blueprint for what he wants in it and all the dimensions. So if you read through there, it gives you the dimensions of everything. So what you're going to see when you come in is a huge bronze altar. And then there's a sea over here in this courtyard... And then on the porch, two huge columns there. They have names. We're going we're to see those up close. Then you go into the holy place. And this is where the priest did the uh, offering of obligation in the morning and in the evening. And the furnishings in there, and this is an aerial view. It doesn't have much, uh, much detail. And we'll get into detail more. I just want to give you the layout. It has a candle stand, which you can't make out but it has also a table for showbread. And there are 10 of those. Kind of an unusual number, uh, but whatever God wants, that's fine. I thought it would be 12 because of the 12 tribes, but uh, that's not so. I think maybe it's for the uh, Ten Commandments because this whole deal is about the law and mercy. Okay, you're going to move through here. You're going to come to a thing called the altar of incense and totally gold totally beautiful and it's right before the veil and the veil is that little wavy line there and that separates people from god and once a year the high priest went in there with blood uh from a bull and uh he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. This is the position of the Ark of the Covenant. These two blobs right here are huge cherubim. Cherubim. We'll see close-ups of those. And they're interesting beings. Very interesting beings. 
Um, these little things right here are associated with the uh, bronze sea or bronze laver. These are portable lavers, and we'll see pictures of those, and we'll talk about what kind of uh, function they have. So that's, that's the overview on that thing. So let me hunt and peck, and, and we can get detailed photos. If you want to move up, that's fine. I don't know how uh, clear these are going to be. This is probably in your way, ma'am. We'll get rid of that. Okay, in no particular order, we're going to zip around in here and see what we can come up with. Okay, I can get a better image of that. Bear with me now. That's kind of dark. Can we, can we uh, douse the uh, house lights, number of them? Okay. Resolution better? Great. Great. Okay, we talked about uh, the two columns that you see there, and those are named in the scripture. God says call one of them Jachin or Jachin and call the other one Boaz. And there are two names. Uh, Jachin means it is established, and Boaz says it is strong. So this temple is hopefully permanent, hopefully permanent. We know in history that the Jews disobeyed and the temple was wiped out a number of times. Um, but these are two symbols that talk about strength and God establishing it in the right place. Okay. Uh, why is the temple a big deal? Temple's a big deal. It's where God chose to put his name, put his presence. Um, for a number of years, the Shekinah glory uh, resided there until um, Israel got so naughty that it had to go. He had to go, meaning the glory of God. Um, but it's a house of prayer. It's where God extended mercy to man. In the courtyard, we'll talk about the altar. It's where sins were forgiven and covered. It's a very, very important place for anyone that's studied Jewish history and for Jews in particular. And the Temple Mount will be visited by Jesus when he comes back. So it's a very, very, very special location. So let us skate around here and see if we can't find something else we can talk about here. And here's a picture of the great laver, the brass sea. And that thing holds about uh, 12,000 gallons, uh, pretty massive. And, and the priests would wash, and I'll see if I can get a better picture of that for you. This might be a better image. And that's a little dark. These are bulls, oxen, 12 oxen holding that thing up. And I want to skate around just a little more and see if I... Okay, here's one that ought to have good resolution. There we go. Um, holds 12,000 gallons. And the oxen hold it up. There are 12 oxen there. And oxen was the strongest animal they used in Israel. 
They used it for plowing, beast of burden. It was their John Deere, you know, big four-wheeler. That's, that's what it was. It was powerful. And the sets of three looked looking for all four directions. So powerful eyes are keeping an eye on Israel. And the laver itself is where the priest would go and cleanse. And we're, we're covered with sin. This whole thing is about removing sin and receiving mercy, the temple site. And evidently there was a tap on here, and the priest could go and wash before they did any sacrifices. Before they went into the holy place, they would wash with that water. And uh, lots and lots of cleansing power there. Um, how does that fit in with Jesus? Jesus died for our sins, and when he died for all sins, he generated this huge reservoir of forgiveness. So when we came to Christ, we, we borrowed, or, or we was imparted to us, Christ's righteousness. But do we stop sinning? And the whole church said, no. <laughs> no, we don't stop sinning. Um, we have to be continually cleansed as we ask for forgiveness of sins. So that reservoir kind of represents what Jesus did on the cross as far as accumulating and storing forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive give us our sins and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. That's a picture of that cleansing right there. The priests had to wash before they, before they did anything. And it's held up by those strong oxen. So this is what God wanted in the temple, and it's all symbolic, and it all points at Christ. Um, as you read through um, first, or Second Chronicles 2 or 3 and 4, you will read about what God wanted engraved on the walls. He wanted a cherubim, and that's lower right. He wanted uh, certain kind of trees. He wanted pomegranates. He wanted blossoms. See the blossoms at the top of that square, that diamond square? Um, there's a cherubim up on the, on the right-hand corner there, another one. And why that's dark, I don't know. That's just a photo I had. But everything in the temple was covered in gold, covered in gold. 25 tons of, of gold is uh, what they figure was used uh, to build in the uh, holy of holy place and the most holy place. That's a lot of gold. That's a lot of gold. And gold is really neat because you can hammer it into a very thin, um, very thin coating. You can take an ounce of pure gold and hammer it into a space of uh, 17 by 17, 300 square feet. It's very malleable. They find gold coins uh, from uh, the Spanish Caribbean days, 400 years old. They wipe them off. They look good. It's the, it's the metal that hardly tarnishes at all, uh, resistant to corrosion. So God picked a wonderful metal to do it in. You know, it's, it's the royal metal. It's the kingly metal. Um, doesn't tarnish, and it's highly reflective, highly reflective. So when they had the, uh, the lamps in there, those ten lamps going, it reflected against the solid gold. I shouldn't say solid. It was, was leaf gold on the outside, but very reflective. I'm sure it was bright in there. So in a beautiful gold color. 
25 tons of gold in there. And Jesus made the prediction that uh, when the Romans come against Jerusalem, he said, they'll tear the temple down, guys, and there will be no stone left upon another. Huh? And the, the listener said, it took 46 years to build this thing. And uh, who could tear it down? And when the Roman conquerors came in, somehow the temple uh, became on fire, was set ablaze. And all this gold, uh, how should I say this? The guys in here have probably sweated pipes together. When you've got a teeny crack and a good fit, there's capillary attraction. And when you put that liquid solder in, it just sucks right in Sucks right into that joint. It's amazing. It's really amazing. As the temple burned, that liquid gold sucked into those joints. And it pulled on the floor, and it went down into the floor. So when the Romans got done, said, we, we got robbed here. We didn't get all the gold. It stuck in the walls. So he tore all the walls down, and they got the gold. And there was not one stone left upon another. Doesn't God have a way of pulling strings? And knowing what's going on, who go figure that. Not one stone upon another because they wanted that gold. They wanted 25 tons. So all that gold that was used by Solomon um, was uh, taken out by the Romans after the disobedience of uh, Israel when they you know, killed their king, the Messiah. It says in the, in the book that the gold comes from a place called Parva, Parv Ammon. And that's where the uh, Egyptians got their gold, and that's where Solomon got their gold. Nobody knows where that is today. Other people are looking for that because the Egyptians had tons of gold, and so did the Israelites. Not unknown, unknown where that's at. So they did these carvings in gold and uh, beautiful. And, and these, these aren't pictures of the temple. This, these are artists' uh, conceptions. And sometimes I call them artist deceptions. Okay, let's talk about the one of the heavy objects in the temple. This is the first thing you saw when you came in from the outer courts. This was a huge brass uh, altar. And uh, it probably measures 30 feet on its side and, and, you know, looks like about five feet tall, something like that. It had large brass grade on it. And uh, we talked about brass in one of the teachings I did about four or five months ago and how it could withstand fire. And Jesus said, when he talked to Nicodemus, he said, I'm, I'm like the brass serpent that was held up in the wilderness. And the serpent was a signification of sin. Jesus became sin for the world. He took on the sins of the world. And he took every one of those sins and he did such a good job with that. He wasn't deteriorated. He wasn't, uh, he didn't chicken out. He, he paid for every one of them. And it's like that brass on that grating there. Hundreds and thousands, probably millions of sacrifices were done on there. And that old brass grate took them every day, every day, and didn't fail. Just like Jesus took all our sins and he didn't recoil he didn't give up. He didn't say, Father, I can't take it. He got to the point where he said, it's finished. It's done. So millions, millions of animals 
innocent animals were sacrificed on that. And that's where the exchange happened. It was the innocent animal for the sinner. And how that happened was you brought your animals in and you would place your hands on the head of that animal and tell God that you were sorry and basically transfer your sins to that innocent animal. And then the priest would take and slaughter the animal and put it on that fire grate. And there you see a priest with a fire. And the sin was consumed. The sin was consumed. Uh, it's like Jesus' is pain consuming sin. But the, the fire went up. And that, to me, is like resurrection. Resurrection before God. Um, that's where the business happened right there. The first thing you saw when you came into the temple courts was that huge, huge brazen altar. And uh, the little pointy things on the corners, they call that the horn of the altar. Don't know what significance that is, but somebody tried to hang on to that one time and, uh, you know, gain mercy. And I think one of David's men went in and and got him anyhow. But uh, that's just a side note. But that's, that's where the spiritual business happened as far as the exchange of the innocent for the guilty. Innocent for the guilty. Uh, what did the lamb do? The lamb didn't do anything, but he was chosen to die for us. That's what he has in common with Jesus, a perfect lamb and innocent blood, which, which covers us. Um, Jesus made the perfect sacrifice. The picture here is the perfect sacrifice. The animal blood just covered, Jesus' blood eradicates, cleanses, takes care of our sin. So he's the perfect sacrifice. He didn't have to do it a million times. He did it one time. It was perfect, and we benefit from it for eternity. Fantastic. Okay. Moving right along here. What else do we want to see? Okay. Okay, let's do this one. That's the altar of incense. And that was right in front of the veil that went into the Holy of Holies. And that's got handles in it, so that's a replica of the one that was in the tabernacle and it was portable. Uh, I I don't believe that uh, the altar of incense, they they built a new one, I believe, uh, according to New Dimensions, and uh, it was put in the... uh, holy place and that's where the priest would go once a day and he'd put special incense in that little censer on top and if you read i don't know if you studied this or not yet but uh, god has his special formula his special recipe for his particular incense and it gives all the ingredients and it says if if you make this uh incense yourself and burn it you get stoned. You get stoned. You'll be cut off from the nation. So it was God's special recipe. But he, he doesn't get proportions, but he says this, this and that are in it. And if you do it on your own and a priest doesn't do it, it's, it's fatal. The community should put you to death. Now, the symbolism there is that this incense, this smoke that came up right in front of the veil and just on the other side of the veil was... Um, the Ark of the Covenant where the Lord resided. Um, The Lord himself says, this is the prayers of the saints. When you guys pray, it's it's like a a great aroma 
to the Lord. Uh, we just got some uh, anointing oil. If you've been anointed recently, you got the frankincense and myrrh version. And it's, it's got a wonderful aroma to it. It's just fantastic. And we got that from the Holy Lands from Marsha Brutter when she went over there. And a great gift. So I can imagine how, how neat this stuff smelled when they were burning it. But the Lord himself says, that's the prayers of the saints. I, it's a, really a fragrant aroma for me. So think of that when you're praying for yourself, for everybody else, how the Lord enjoys that. He enjoys conversation anyhow with his children. But, uh, you know, he, he, likes, he likes the smell. He likes the smell. That's real good. That's real good. Okay. You want, you want to see the brass labor in Legos? There it is. Okay, got a Lego priest there. Okay. Okay, let's, I think, let's do that. See if we can get that up there. I think I can get a better image, but we're talking about right here the, uh, what they call the menorah today, and it's the lampstand, and there were 10 of those in the temple. And give me just a second, because I think I can find a better one here. A little more representative. And there it is. Okay. Uh, There were 10 of those in Solomon's temple. And the number 10, uh, like I said, to start with, I I think it has to do with the Ten Commandments. It was a number of completeness and perfection. Um, But every day the priest would come in, and you see those little cups at top, on top? That's uh, like an an almond blossom is what the Lord said. And they would fill those up in the morning, and they would be lit. And like I said, the whole room was uh, lined with gold, and I bet it was beautiful. I bet it was really beautiful, ten of those things going. Um, what's the spiritual thing there? spiritual thing is light in the world, light in a real dark world. Uh, God is light, scriptural. Jesus is the light of the world. That works. And holy, how about the Holy Spirit? The whole Trinity is uh, represented on this one. Um, holy Spirit comes in the world on Pentecost in what form? Great wind and tongues of flame. Tongues of flame. And I bet when these things were burning, uh, it looked a lot like uh, what the Holy Spirit looked like when he came down on the apostles in the upper room. So we've got the whole Trinity involved in here. Uh, the prescription for the original light stand when they made the articles for the tabernacle that Moses had commissioned that there was only one because you know it was a portable deal and they only had one of those it was to be made out of one solid bar of gold showing the unity of the trinity and the artisans had to hammer that out and they started with one chunk of gold so that you know really a lot of sculpting and consideration went into that. But uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I can just imagine how beautiful that light was when the priest went in every morning to fill those and uh, reignite, reignite. What other articles do we have here? Okay, let's, let's get an overview of the gold room. And... There it is. Every, everything in there is gold. We see the priest in front of the uh, altar of incense. He's in the holy place. If you take one of that wall apart, you would see the other articles in there that we've been talking about. On the other side, of course, is the 
original and only Ark of the Covenant and the two cherubim. But there's, there's that gold, part of that 25 tons that made up those two particular places. And if you read the dimensions of the Holy and Holies, it's pretty tall. It's pretty tall, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of gold involved. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, what other items do we have to look at here? Showbread. Where is, where is it, showbread? Okay, right here we are at uh, enlargements of artist conception, again, of cherubim. And here is one. Six, six wings. Six wings and pretty large in comparison to the priest. The two statues of the cherubim reached from wall to wall. They had uh, a wingspan. This is one wall of the Holy of Holies. He touched this wall, and he went out like this, and he touched the other cherubim's wing. Right down here is the uh, Ark of the Covenant. This guy over here stood like this. And, and they're tough guys. They, they guard the throne of God. Uh, you remember what uh, when Adam and Eve were ushered out of the garden, driven out, I think is the word, um, there was a cherubim that came and guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden, and he had a flaming sword. So these, these guys are the tough guys, very strong. And you remember the effectiveness of an angel against the Assyrians? One angel in one night kills 185 of them. That's not bad. That's almost Ohio Stadium twice. And if you were conking them on the head all night long, you'd be a busy guy. You wouldn't get them all killed. But that angel of the Lord did because the Assyrians were coming against uh, God's holy people. I want to get another view of those because we can't see the heads on these. And cherubim have uh, interesting, interesting heads. And they are guarding the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat where where God extends mercy and grace. Once again, artist conception, and I'm, I'm sorry you can't see this a little bit better, but the heads on these guys, notice the wings again. It's just, it's not the classic two-winged angel. But one of the heads is a lion. One of the heads is a human. One of the heads is an ox. Looks like a long, Texas longhorn to me. Anyway, uh, and the other one is a, did I say lion yet? Yeah, I did. Eagle. Eagle. All those things are pretty powerful, intelligent. Uh, and that's what these angels can do. They, they see a lot. They're powerful. You can't get around it. They've got eyes going in every direction, kind of like those oxen that were holding up the uh, brass laver. Um, does that look anything like a hallmark angel? Cute little cherubs, you know, chunky, you know. Got the cute little chunky legs. Got the got the angel wings. No, it doesn't. These these guys are these guys are tough. These guys are guardians. These guys uh, are waiting for any kind of command from the Lord to execute it. And what what do angels really do? What do angels really do? According to the Scripture, they minister to those who will inherit salvation. In the supernatural war that's being waged for our souls, they're busy. They're busy fighting, fending off 
evil for us, just one dimension away, whatever that might be. So we got these guys on our side. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. Got all I want to say about that? I think so. I reserve the right to go back. Okay. What other good stuff we got in here? We need... We need... Oh, over here. Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. Um, maybe I can get a better view. Hang on a second, guys. Hope I can. Hope I can. Mm. See more images. Let's stay right there. So we, we can't see the, the big guys, the big angels over that, but we see smaller angels, and they are representations of cherubim also, guarding wingtip to wingtip. You know, nobody's getting in there. And the top part of that is the mercy seat. And that's where the high priest went in once a year to apply blood on that, innocent blood, so the Lord would see innocent blood instead of the world's tainted, sinful blood. He said, just, just give me something, something pure to look at, okay, here, guys? And it just covered. It didn't take care of anything. It just covered. Jesus came along, and he took away sins. Now, that sits on a box. And in that box, you may know the contents of the box. It's the Ten Commandments, the second copy, because Moses destroyed the first copy on a wayward people. Um, Aaron's rod that budded, and uh, I think there's a pot of man in there too, pretty sure. And this this has the carrying poles on it because it's the original one. It's the one that Moses was commissioned to build, and they they didn't build a new one of those. So that's the one with the carrying poles that the priest brought it in with, and. Uh, that's that's the seat of spiritual government right there, right there. That's that's where God resides in Israel, and it's on his special spot with his special people, and all that's been extended to us through the work of Jesus Christ. So having said that, I probably need to find the veil. And let me skate around and see if I can get that real quick. Sorry, I don't have this in better order, but this is my first attempt at PowerPoint. Okay, here it is. Oops, not big enough. Try this. Not big enough. computer stall. Here we go. The veil. The veil. That's the backdrop there. That's the holy place. And we, we see priests working in there and the cherubim up above. And then there's the archway and then there's the veil and it has lions and cherubim on it. Um, 
the veil. Uh, a lot of controversy on the veil as far as thickness and uh, construction. Uh, some commentators said it was a hand's width across and woven on a bias. It would be very hard to, to tear apart. And we know that Jesus tore it apart when he died. Uh, and people were in the temple at the time. These priests were in the temple ministering, and they saw that baby being ripped top to bottom. And some accounts say it's nine inches thick. Nice tear. That's, that's better than the New York phone book. Okay, that's the smallest dimension I got. Some say up to two feet, two feet thick. And, you know, pick a number somewhere in between there, somewhere in between there. Um, and I learned this this time as I studied that there are doors in association with the veil. They must be behind the veil. They were doors made of olive olive wood, acacia. Can't remember the wood, and covered with gold, of course, because they would take the veil down and clean it, because you know it was in there for 900 years. So they closed the doors, and the high priest had to do that while he was in there and take the veil down. And take it. Said it took 200 men, 200 men to move it around. So it must have been thick. So pick out your dimension. It's not tissue paper. Let's say that, not tissue paper. So Jesus is on the cross, and there's some wild things that happen while he's dying. There's an eclipse. Uh, people get up and walk around that have been dead. The rocks split. Um, total darkness. You know, a lot of a lot of supernatural things going on. And the most significant spiritual thing was, other than Jesus actually shedding his blood for us, was that the the veil was ripped in there top to bottom. So it wasn't a human event. And Jesus did this wonderful thing that he opened up uh, uh, an avenue to the to the Father. We could they could look in and see. Well, unfortunately, the ark wasn't there then because it had been hidden because they feared the Romans. And really, they feared uh, the Babylonians way back when. The uh, ark had been missing for some years. But everybody there knew that that was the chamber of God. So Jesus on the cross increased our fellowship with God because he, he rent the veil. He made it so we can go boldly into the throne room of God and say hello, ask for forgiveness, uh, you know, whatever you want to do, any conversation, because God likes to talk to his children. Do you like to talk to your grandchildren? I got a one-year-old little guy. Owen's got this one. Put him right there. He can't talk yet, but I can't wait. I can't wait. And it doesn't last long. I've got one that's, uh, I've got one that's about four. He never sits on my lap. I, I have to tackle him, and then he does squirms around a lot. You know, but get in there and talk to, talk to your heavenly Father because He loves you. He wants to talk to you. Wants to talk to you. And Jesus rent the veil with His perfect sacrifice. Okay, what have I missed, folks? What have I missed? Ark of the Covenant, storerooms. We're not going to talk about that veil. Uh, golden censer, holy place. Talked about that. Brass pillars. Talked about that. Sea. Talked about that. Brass altar, sacrifice. We talked about that. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. Did I miss anything uh, on the on the paper? 
only thing I didn't want to talk about the, st the storeroom because it really wasn't part of uh, this presentation whatsoever. So let's, let's open it up to questions. I'm sure there's some questions. Be right there. Yes, sir. Pomegranates. I don't. I don't know. It might be part of that. Just what the Lord likes. I. I don't know that. I don't know that. Does anybody know about pomegranates? How cool they are. I don't know. Lilies would have been good, but I'm not God. You know, God likes pomegranates, and they're indigenous to the Middle East. I don't know if I'd know a pomegranate if I fell over one, but that's that's what the Lord likes. That's what he. That's what he put on there. So, kind of a leather interior. I don't know. Yeah. I always just love the picture of the veil and the thorn and us getting that immediate access to the Lord. But I was struck this last time in uh, my devotions when I was reading through some of the rules that they had for who could enter the temple at all. Yes. Strict. Well, you could have been in a woman's court. There was a Gentile court, but pretty far, pretty far away from the action. Yeah, yeah. Pretty far away from the action. Yeah, but there were times that, you know, no, you, you, a dead person was there with me. Die, die, try to feed you. I'd bring you there. Yeah. You go in, you know, yeah. so many things. Right. And that's where that huge uh, vessel of water comes from. You know, we we have to clean a lot because we're we're sinners. And some some commentators say when the uh, priest goes in on the Day of Atonement and sprinkles the blood for the nation, it says for the nation, for the people, that's to cover the sins that we don't even know about. When you are conscious of sin, you bring a lamb to the temple and you kill it and say, Lord, I, I confess that, you know, I bore a false witness against my brother. We do countless sins of omission. And some commentators say the Day of Atonement was for all the sins that you don't know you commit but need to be reconciled. Right. So, you know, we are sinners. Unclean. Yeah. Right. And one thing I didn't show you, and I don't, I don't know if I can get to it real quick, maybe after the questions, in association with, with that huge labor there were 10 little carts with uh, little basins on them on wheels, pretty slick, because everything was paved around there. The courts were paved, and they could roll this thing around. And everything that went up on that brass altar was washed, was washed. The lands were washed after they were, after they were killed, uh, and the priest had to wash. Uh, picture the altar at Passover, People come into town, two million people. They've all got sheep. They're buying sheep somewhere. They've all got sheep. They've all got sins they need to pay for. Mass production or mass destruction, however you want to say that, at the temple. So the floor's horribly dirty. They bleed them out right there. More water. You've got to wash that off. Got to wash the priest. Got to wash everybody that's handling that stuff. Uh, Cleanse, 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 cleanse. We're dirty. Cleanse, cleanse, sin, cleanse, sin, cleanse. Jesus dies once. We believe. Cleansed. 
cleansed. Jeez, I'm getting it. Becoming a holy roller tonight. <laughs> I kind of like it. Yes. Okay. Um, we we know in the Bible descriptions of a cherubim in in Ezekiel chapter one, I think, and yeah. a seraphim in uh, Isaiah six, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did they know back then before those were written? Because you say draw me a picture of a cherubim. Would they know? How would they know what that looked like? You know what I mean? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I can answer that one for you. I don't know, but. Um, they must have known because God says, I, I need cherubim uh, to guard the, the holy of holy place and the Ark of the Covenant. They had an idea, probably from scripture somewhere. Because the one in Ezekiel is just fantastic. He's got wheels and wings yeah, and heads all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I know we talked about this before on Thursday night. Uh, there's an angel that flies through the sky in Revelation, and he's saying, whoa, whoa, and then he gives the gospel. How, how big is that angel to get anybody's attention? Is that a B-52? You know, it could be that big. could be that big. You know, angels, these angel guys are wild, really wild. Uh, other questions? Other questions? Gosh, I covered it good. <laughs> Well, it's time to get out of here anyhow. Let's pray and we'll be on our way. Lord Jesus, uh, seeing you so much in, in all these things in Solomon's temple, and they, they built another temple, and Herod built a temple, Lord, and they tried to you know keep everything the same, Lord, just a little more grandiose on the outside. There's another temple coming, Lord, and you're going to be in it. Uh, we're looking forward to that one, Lord. That's going to be a fantastic one. Lord, we see you in all the articles and everything you did for us for mercy and grace and forgiveness and our glory, your glory, Lord. So it's a nice study. I'm glad you wrote it down, Lord, so we can appreciate it. Hey, just be with all these folks tonight uh, as they go home. You just take them home safely, Lord, and be with them throughout the week and bless every household here. And we ask all this in your kind heavenly name. Amen.